Welcome to another Smack Insider podcast. I'm Nick Clayton, and this week my colleague Marlena Haddad and I will be speaking with Kevin Kennedy, CEO of Quanergy. Quanergy announced a $1.1 billion business combination with Citic Capital Acquisition Corp. on June 22nd. Quanergy makes LiDAR arrays for a variety of navigation and imaging applications, ranging from autonomous vehicles to smart cities and crowd control. We talk about how each of these sectors differ as both technical challenges and business opportunities. We also discuss just how many standalone LiDAR companies the public markets can handle as new niches and applications continue to be found. Take a listen. So SPACs have done a number of deals with LiDAR companies over the past year. And for those that are unfamiliar, LiDAR arrays provide the advanced sensor capabilities necessary for things like assisted and automated driving. The market is vast and a wide range of vehicles are expected to include some form of LiDAR array in the coming years. So Kevin, could you just explain a bit of, about how big this total market is and where Quantergy fits within it? Yeah, sure, Nick. So, you know, broadly speaking, we think of uh, two legs to the market. One is sort of the internet of things market. Uh, and then the second is the, to your point, the uh, what is arguably going to be the largest, which is the automotive uh, transportation market. Um, lots of reports out there, but the net of it is think by 2030, maybe 25, 27 billion or, or more. So uh, uh, what's probably less than a billion dollar market today growing uh, very, very dramatically by the end of the decade. Great. And it does seem like a lot of the companies, at least those that have been targeted by SPACs, uh, are a little bit more specialized in one or the other of those two use cases, whether it's the Internet of Things or more kind of industrial and commercial uses or uh, more for the assisted driving on public roads. Uh, where does Quantergy fit into that? And, and how do those two markets differ in terms of both the technical demands and, and you know some of those other market dynamics? Yeah. So, you know, first, uh, we're somewhat unique in that we have products that serve both the Internet of Things as well as the, the automotive uh, market. So uh, uniqueness for uh, Quantergy. I'd say, uh, you know, sort of stepping back to what's exciting about the, the whole thing. The thing about LiDAR is that uh, it does two things that are really unique. One is it, uh, it's about range. So think about cameras maybe being less effective when you get beyond 20 meters or 30 meters. You can see from the other SPACs, uh, there's a, a battle for range of getting into the 100 meter, 200 meter and, and more. So uh, a sensor that has this range capability. The second is the data. And so if you want to be able to detect, look at the shape, the distance, the velocity, the direction, or even classify something, you can do that with uh, LiDAR sensors. Often can't do that with other sensors, in particular 2D sensors like a camera. So those two things make this large market that you just, uh, you know, tried to um, size for people, uh, it's, it's the so what of it. And, um, and so anyhow, we have uh, sensors that uh, the mechanical and this uh, solid state sensor that uh, sits on both of these, we view that the internet of things market is really a bridge to this uh, very, very large transportation market. And it also makes sense because probably the most stringent requirements for a sensor in terms of cost very low cost, less than $500 uh, range, very long range and reliability. So vibration resistant and so forth. That's where you have to get to for automotive. So more stringent requirements on the, uh, the automotive sensor, uh, lots of market uh, that is more of a solutions market before you get there on the internet of things side of it. Um, and, and just in terms of how the, the I guess, 
where we're looking at some of the timelines and the work that's there, it seems like, um, you know, the Internet of Things, you have a lot of applications that are far more active and the business may be driven more by a lot of different uh, manufacturing contracts or contracts with, um, you know, the, the vehicles that are already in the field in these uses, whereas it seems like a lot of the companies that are really focused on the um, on the assisted driving on, on, the, on the public roads are really looking for one big partner and, and one big move. Yeah, I think that's true. So you're, you're bringing up the point that there are really two different business models. The, uh, the Internet of Things starts with things like mapping and smart cities, smart spaces, and these are projects, uh, project-oriented. Uh, then you sort of segue into the industrial market where you're on UGVs, AGVs, uh, could be warehouse um, you know, vehicles, and then ultimately this higher volume, which is a design win. It may take you two years to get the design win, uh, get to, to volume production, and uh, those can be very big. And so uh, your, your noteworthy comment is, is that people tend to look for one big uh, tree to hug for the uh, autonomy side of it, yet there are many projects and many very interesting applications that are here and now. That's right. And then how are the technology demands um, of these two markets different? And is one more lucrative than the other? So, you know, both are big, uh, number one. Uh, the industrial market is here today. So this UGV, AGV warehouse market, some of those are serviced with uh, uh, not with 3D. Uh, so there's a transition from 2D to 3D. Uh, the Internet of Things market tends to be more solutions oriented. So when you're in an airport and you're watching people flow and you're tracking people, uh, there's a software and a service component uh, that complements the sensor. So you have uh, very nice gross margins. Um, that's the goodness. Uh, it's not as uh, intense in terms of the requirements of range and, um, and cost. Um, but on the other hand, you know, volume and uh, if you can still make a profit at high volume for autonomy, that's where the money's gonna be. And so um, the way to think about it is this internet of things market is a great bridge or training ground. So when you get better and better stepwise on that market, you're, you sort of graduate and are ready for the automotive market. And then would you say that there's room in the market for multiple LIDAR companies within the same subsectors? Uh, very much so. Uh, part of that comes from industry structure because the differences in the IoT markets, the, the verticals are many. And so you may see some that concentrate on a few verticals and uh, others in other verticals. Secondly, is you'll see generational, some people will have one generation of, uh, say, a 2D LiDAR, and then somebody comes in with a, a 3D device. Um, the third is that uh, people will require alternate sourcing, especially the bigger the scale, the more that there will be sourcing requirements that require multiple vendors. So, um, uh, yeah, I think there's, there's going to be room for probably uh, personal view is I think uh, both the Internet of Things market and the autonomy market will I have room for five to 10 uh, LiDAR suppliers in each case, so. Great, and it seems like in the, I guess, the, the, the wider conversation that the, the self-driving cars tend to get the majority of the attention, maybe just because they're things that individual consumers may view themselves as buying sometime in the near future. Um, but it seems like there, there's just the, the potential use cases for, you know, beyond that one um, and that kind of what you've been talking about, about smart cities, about airports. Um, it, it's a much broader uh, market in a lot of ways. 
And there's probably things that, uh, you know, haven't yet even been thought of as applications um, and things that aren't quite in use yet. I mean, what do you think are some of the most intriguing opportunities on that side of the market? Yeah, no, that's great. And, and you know, every week or every month we're learning uh, about new applications. So, you know, people will pick up a National Geographic and see some new mapping uh, discovery. Uh, and a lot of that is a sort of a traditional view of what LIDAR was uh, good for. It could map the topology of, uh, of an area. Uh, if you go through uh, Denver, Miami, Heathrow airports, you'll see uh, signage that has uh, a display that tells you what the queue time is in certain places. Uh, so that's sort of a, a people flow and management so that uh, uh, you know how long you're going to have to wait before you can get to the gate, uh, as an example. That's often our technology or certainly LIDAR technology uh, informing that. Um, there are other applications where people are in um, uh, prisons and looking for crowd control. There are applications where people are uh, collecting either grains or uh, sewage and they want to know the volumetric uh, capacity and utilization of uh, things. And then they make some informed decision on what the next step to, to deal with their enterprise. So there's probably not a week goes by that uh, we don't have a new question of is LIDAR a fit to solve this particular problem? And, it's, and I come back to the two things that I mentioned uh, earlier, the two ingredients. LIDAR provides a level of range that you can't get with cameras today. And secondly, it gives you a level of data information in terms of shape, uh, direction, velocity, uh, or classification that you can't get with cameras today. When you combine those two things, uh, it's going to be commonplace increasingly for people to say, hey, can I use this new sensor type in this to help solve this problem? And that's what uh, we're, we're finding. And that's why there's going to be so many verticals that specialize this. And it feels like LiDAR is also a technology that can be used in, in conjunction and in concert with a lot of other existing technologies. Is that the case? It's absolutely the case, Nick. It turns out that uh, in the near term, I'll give you a great example, perimeter security for um, for large uh, data centers, uh, cloud data centers. Um, most of those data centers have uh, some level of camera technology securing or informing the security of the, uh, uh, the perimeter. However, you know, uh, with crowd control or, um, you know, being able to look further out, say 200 meters out, seeing something coming towards that building identifying and discriminating whether that's a, a deer or a dog versus a human being, and then focusing the camera directly where you, you sense that so you can have an early detection and not have to send a security guard out there. It's a great example of, uh, frankly, an order that we just got last quarter um, where we're complementing cameras, to your point. That's really interesting, yeah. And so, um, you know, valuations among SPAC targets have been a hot topic all this year. And LiDAR companies, um, with the LiDAR companies that we've seen uh, do deals with SPACs, there appear to be several moving targets at play because there's been so many of these deals. You know, for one, many of these companies are still working to commercialize, but the markets that they're addressing is so big as we've been discussing. Um, but you also have the valuations of other companies in the space to consider, many of which have already traded significantly above their transactions post-close. So, you know, what does Quantergy consider to be the most important points of consideration um, with your own enterprise value uh, laid out in this deal? And then how did that, um, what were sort of the things that were instructive in your negotiations with Citic? Number one, I think just for listeners, there's uh, six uh, prior uh, SPACs that have uh, focused on standalone 
uh, LiDAR companies to date. So uh, what happened in this last market is last year is that there became a market for standalone LiDAR companies. So that was a, a change versus prior to that, maybe there was only one public uh, standalone LiDAR company. Uh, two is uh, that efficacy has brought a significant, certainly in excess of $10 billion worth of valuation to those, that category of company, standalone LiDAR company. So that, again, is something that's changed in this last year. And, and so I, I say this because these are certainly things that we as a board were thinking about. Is, uh, is there a market for this? What's the status of it? Is it growing? Is, is it attracting investment? I think third, what was unique about uh, the company is that um, one is that it, it has growth on this mechanical series or this IoT side. It was unique in having both software, sensor, but further unique because it has a uh, this optical phased array technology, which is really, uh, it's all solid state. It's CMOS based. So therefore the lowest variable cost structure, which would make it well poised to be the target architecture for automotive. And we were able to take that from an indoor technology to an outdoor technology over this last year. When you put those three things together, meaning the portfolio, the fact that we had software, uh, IoT, as well as automotive potential, and then we got this new range for the optical phased array, that we felt was an investable thesis. And that was sort of the basis of uh, why uh, Citic and, and, and others had approached us uh, for the SPAC. So I think that was the enabler of the SPAC discussion was that confluence of events. Market valuations uh, were right. Uh, there was a precedent in other words for um, SPACs to be used as late stage venture, early stage public uh, capitalizations. And uh, you know that's, that's what happened over this last year. And then would you be able to drill down a little further on who are Quantergy's customers and how much visibility do you have in your future sales pipeline in terms of firm contracts with these clients? Yeah, so uh, let me do that in reverse order. Generally, the business on the IoT side is not about having firm contracts for uh, over a long-term period. These tend to be project-based. So if there's an airport, you may get one terminal you deploy that then the next terminal. And so it's much more of a, uh, a business run rate. The thing that has changed over the last year is we have more partners. So uh, our technology, there's the sensor, there's the software that extracts the data from the sen uh, sensor. And then there's the software that sits on top of us, typically a video management system with a partner that um, uh, basically defines the next best action or makes sense of, uh, of what next to do. And so we tend to have visibility through a pipeline of deals. And that pipeline of deals is, uh, say, over leveraged, you know, many times greater than what our quarterly estimate of revenue is going to be. And uh, but when they they fall, you know, uh, it's, a, it's a battle every quarter. So bottom line is we have a pipeline. We don't have fixed contracts. Uh, it's because we're still in a zone of really being project based as opposed to sort of a design slot based. And um, these are our primary visibility comes through the, these partnerships. So CETA uh, could be Bosch, could be Milestone, could be Genetech. And the deployments, uh, you know, are could be casinos, data centers, you know, public infrastructure. Um, so those kinds of uh, anybody in those businesses are probably looking at LIDAR. And then what would you say are some specific use cases for quantity arrays right now? 
that investors might, might not think of? Well, I think the airport is a, is a great example because for anybody that's traveling for business, whether you're in Singapore, London, Baltimore, Denver, Miami, uh, I think we have uh, roughly 20 airports and growing. Uh, so, you know, that's a good example of it's there. Uh, you're oblivious of it, but uh, it's doing its job. And, uh, you know, uh, a consumer can get uh, informed by the, uh, the data that it pumps out. Um, we have intersections in Paris and San Francisco and, uh, and, and in Asia. So smart cities uh, are examples of uh, where we're looking at traffic patterns. Most of those examples uh, start with a municipality or city wanting to reduce uh, deaths or accidents. So there's usually a, uh, a regulatory mandate that basically is to uh, help the consumer not get hurt. And uh, LIDAR ends up being one of those, again, because of the range as well as the level of data. Those two ingredients are the things that go beyond the cameras that already exist in those, those uh, forms of infrastructure. We have cases in prisons where people are looking at crowd control. Uh, we are at data centers. You know, if anybody goes into Northern Virginia, you'll see these data centers that go on, go on and on uh, in uh, Ashburn, Virginia. Uh, so secure perimeter security for critical infrastructure could be pipelines, could be data centers, et cetera. Uh, these are all applications that are, um, they define about two thirds of our uh, pipeline activity or would be example, those kinds of examples, if that's helpful. Yeah, and just, and given just how new so many of these applications and some of these, you know, some of the market is, uh, what, what's been sort of the most challenging aspect of, of Quantergy's growth to this point? Has it been more on the technology side in terms of developing the software and hardware, or has it been more of the operational and sales and sort of, you know, convincing people of, of certain efficacies? It's a great question, and, and I'll break it into two pieces. I, I think on the IoT side, it's the um, uh, helping people uh, see that uh, LIDAR is a good fit or a great example for the problems that they're trying to solve. And so uh, the good news is the sensor stays the same. We don't have to change the sensor. The software uh, sometimes gets adapted so that we can extract the right statistics and sometimes the video management software has to be changed to uh, for that particular application. So I'd say the conversion of uh, uh, of the application of our sensor to the solution that is just right for that business sometimes takes longer than we would like, um, and therefore the conversion to cash takes longer. Secondly, is those kinds of uh, buildouts they often start with one or two deployments. People like to see that one or two casinos working and then they decide, okay, we're gonna do a whole lot more or the same thing with a data center or a set of streets. And so uh, you spend a lot of time uh, upfront getting the solution right. You spend more time getting those first couple of deployments right. And then you're waiting for that scale, that inflection point. And that's how I would describe many of the opportunities. The, the numbers of verticals are growing. The numbers of solutions are growing. We don't have to change the sensor but getting the software pieces right and getting those first deployments to a, uh, a trigger point uh, is, is really where that market is. And then lastly, um, I'd say almost all of these things are being informed that people are beginning to make a decision to move from 2D to 3D. And uh, how fast they wanna do that is, uh, you know, uh, is, a, is a key decision the good news is we're trying to make it easy because by and large, we're able to deliver 3D sensor characteristics 
but a 2D pricing. So now it's just a question, question of how quickly do they want to flip their infrastructure. So I think the next two years, as uh, COVID relents and people can do you know, more hands-on work in these deployments, we'll continue to see this pick up. And what would you say is, is kind of the biggest threat to the LiDAR market right now? You mentioned COVID. I'm sure that had a big impact on kind of the, you know, some of the demand for, you know, kind of crowd-based applications, but also we've been looking at the chip shortage and the, the effect that that's had on um, the semiconductor market and, and a lot of these sort of specialized technology sectors. Is, is that something that's been affecting you guys? And, and what else do you see out there as being, you know, some of the issues that are kind of on the broad macro side? Yeah, I, I think the... You know, the uh, it's a great question. Number one is we and others are growing, notwithstanding the issues that we just mentioned. So the good news is, is when those issues relent, uh, things will grow faster. And so, uh, but, you know, you do have to spend more time and more energy. In some cases, chip shortages will have you, will require you to redesign a board because you can't get a chip anymore and therefore your product gets introduced later than you thought. And so, um or to your point, if it's a crowd application, somebody can't show up on site to test your device to make sure that the fit is it. So you, you lose a quarter in terms of uh, the ramp of a, of a new vertical. So uh, I think the good news is there's enough out there that people are growing uh, in, this, in the LiDAR world. Um, that will continue, I believe. Uh, as those issues relent, people will grow faster and that's great. I also think you'll see the, the transition from 2D to 3D uh, happen. Uh, and I further, you know, obviously, if people invest more in public infrastructure, that's a tailwind that uh, is only going to help us. So um, we just have to keep our head down and execute as, as well as other companies today and then um, uh, make sure we get the, the fit product fit right with software and hardware. And then uh, as things time goes on, things will accelerate. And then LiDAR itself is very new, but are there any other technologies lying in the weeds that could potentially threaten its place in the sensing and automation ecosystem? Uh, I think threaten is a, a, uh, a strong word, I think. Uh, so I, I, I don't see there being a threat to LiDAR. I think LiDAR is um, somewhat uniquely positioned in the amount of data that it, that can, it can extract uh, as well as the range. And that sort of 30 meters to 300 meters there's not a lot that, that competes with it. That being said, are there other technologies such as AI technologies, continued advancements in cameras that will uh, shift the fit over time? I, I think that will continue to be a, uh, there'll be some level of elasticity around that general range that I gave you in a 30 meter to, to 300 meter range. So uh, LIDAR has a great opportunity. It's very clear what it does well. Um, and. AI and uh, other technology improvements are going to um, help focus where LIDAR is excels, but I don't, I, I wouldn't use the word threat. And then just moving on to the SPAC aspect and listing aspect of the deal, how did Quantergy decide on a SPAC listing versus a traditional IPO? And, and what was the thought process and decision-making behind that? Yeah, fair. I, I think, you know, number one, it takes, uh, you have to react to something. So the first thing that happened was uh, someone sort of knocked on our door and said that, uh, you know, there's a vehicle called a SPAC and uh, we have interest in taking a look at it. Um, as any board uh, did, we did our homework on SPACs and realized that at least in the LIDAR space, as I mentioned earlier, there was a market for these standalone uh, SPACs. Uh, people were getting uh, funding. 
it was being used as a late stage venture, early uh, public uh, access to capital. And, uh, and then we had to make a decision because there was something in front of us on the table. We further uh, you know, were the benefactors of having probably at least uh, several uh, parties interested. And so the question is, is do you risk waiting and hope that you get capital later or do you take the capital that is uh, in front of you today? And board's view was uh, we would take the capital today. If you step back in the LIDAR space, you know, there's probably um, you know, in excess of 100 startups or, or more companies that are participating in the LIDAR market. There may be 20 that have revenue and there may be um, a, a smaller set of that that are uh, significant or have uh, uh, the potential in terms of their technology portfolio to play for a, uh, a long run. All of those are going to need access to capital. And so um, I think what's, what's happening in the marketplace, this is the first of several scaling thresholds that have to be met by companies. And that's why you saw this last year, uh, a number of standalone LiDAR companies go down the SPAC route. Ultimately, we, we chose that same route. Is that helpful? That's yeah. really interesting. And, 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 you know, given that, as you're describing there, um, I imagine that you, you know, you were having conversations with multiple SPACs, you know, what, you know, what stood out uh, with Citic um, that, what, that made them, well, made you want them to be your, your partner in this? Yeah, I'd say first and foremost, we, we, we knew them. Uh, they were a, a very small investor in the, in the company, but uh, known uh, entity. Secondly, is when you looked at the, the choices, you know, you could dis, discriminate by uh, the size of the cash and trust and what was appropriate for us. You could uh, look at, um, you know, other terms and conditions. Uh, and uh, I would say that this just fit when you when you looked at the criteria of uh, size, knowledge, efficacy and getting a deal done, so forth and so on. Uh, this was the, the choice on the board. So um, bottom line is multiple things, but ultimately you wanted to make sure that you got the amount of cash that was required. You could get the deal done. You know, you knew the people uh, on the other side and um, uh, those were some of the important criteria for sure. Great. And as you mentioned, it sounds like there was at least, you know, some options that were being um, at least considered that involved, you know, additional private funding rounds. But, you know, that is the other side of, of, of a SPAC deal is you will now be a, a publicly traded company. And, and how do you uh, think that's going to help you competitively? And how do you plan on taking advantage of that aspect of this? Yeah, I think once you're public, you have uh, certainly more options for business combinations. Uh, and uh, I think this is a, you know, a as you scale, the first threshold is going to be access to capital. And that's what we just talked about. Uh, those hundred plus uh, companies aren't all, all going to have access to capital. So being part of this uh, class uh, in the moment of SPACs, I actually think is important for people. I think there's a second, which is uh, being able to uh, put as many skill sets under one roof as possible to follow the market and scale your sales and uh, your growth plans and therefore the R&D programs for it, I think is another uh, element of this. And that is advantage when you have uh, public float and, and access to either organic or inorganic. It's nice to have both of those uh, opportunities open to you. So I think uh, that helps. The, the downside obviously is that, you know, it costs money to be public and, uh, and you know, early is, uh, and so that really is the trade-off is do you want the optionality to scale and win 
uh, and do you get the money that you need now? Uh, or do you wait longer, uh, recognizing the, the overhead of uh, being public? And so uh, being part of the, the group that passed this first scaling threshold, I think was important for the company. So what's next for Quantergy? Well, the next big step is to complete this process and uh, become publicly listed and close the, the SPAC. Um, second is we've got uh, some technology advances that uh, I think will be uh, important next year and uh, we'll begin headed into the, both the industrial and the automotive market, at least from testing product fit. So uh, market access and growing the, the TAM on one side. Uh, secondly is uh, technology advances that enable that. And then third is, uh, but most imminent is uh, closing this, uh, this transaction and becoming public in November or fourth quarter for sure. Great, great, yeah. It is, it is not a short process, the SPAC process, as I'm sure you're, <laughs> you've been experiencing. It, it, it's not short, and it, uh, it, it definitely consumes a lot of energy, Nick. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, we, we hope things go great for you on the other side. But, you know, another thing we love, love to talk about whenever we get the chance to, to speak with, um, uh, with companies is just, you know, the backstory. You know, where, what, were, what were some of the first moments of this, of this the Quantergy story like? How did you get this all started? Well, I, I wasn't a founder. I mean, this our co-founder, uh, Chen Weiyu, uh, is a perfect example of the Silicon Valley start a company in a garage and, uh, you know, it takes eight long years to, uh, to get to, to, to sort of this episode or this chapter. Um, I joined the board uh, maybe two and a half years ago uh, as we were anticipating, um, you know, the need to scale and, uh, you know, Align with markets and um, uh, and then, but timing is everything. So I think I, I did that uh, a week or two after COVID hit. <laughs> so <laughs> note to self: let's think uh, think about that again. And uh, but the team did a great job. It allowed us to focus on you know a small number of things that really mattered. And when we came out on the other side, we had advanced this uh, optical phase array technology to be an outdoor technology. And in the end, that was the enabler for a set of discussions that uh, uh, took us down the SPAC route. So, uh, you know, sometimes out of uh, drama comes good things. And so the team did a great job. Um, this is a typical Silicon Valley uh, garage startup that, uh, you know, is, is continuing to find its path in a, a big market for the future. And uh, it's probably never been more exciting. Great. Well, I, I certainly agree. And I, I really appreciate you taking the time out of uh, what has been, I'm sure, uh, a busy few months for you um, to, to speak with us and our, and our listeners. Um, thanks so much for being on. No, thanks for having me.